all our lives, we've been told to go to school, get good grades, get a good job, and you'll be set. How's that working out for you? I'm Tavana Denise, physical therapist turned life and business coach, and I'm on a mission to help you create a life you love and a business on your terms. If you want more time, more freedom, more flexibility, I can help you create it. Welcome to Breaking Protocol, the show for women in healthcare who want more. Hello, hello. I'm so excited to have Krista Gurkha. Am I saying that correctly? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I'm so excited to have this badass with me today because we're going to talk about one, about her journey, and also about one of the things that you all know I love to talk about so much, which is mindset. And so, Krista, I just want to jump right into your story. And if you could please tell us a little bit about who you were and who you are now in terms of business and employee and all of that stuff. Perfect. So as Tavana said, thank you so much for having me. I love talking about this stuff. Um, My name's Krista Gurkha. I like to say now by degree, I'm a physical therapist. Um, So I was a staff as I've been a physical therapist now 21 years. And, you know, I took, I think I took the pretty generic route. I worked in uh, an inpatient rehab center, then I worked for Health South, and then I worked for, you know, I went down that route, and then I got into outpatient orthopedics, and, you know, put in my time, I felt, and, and then started to realize that there was more out there, um, and then I kind of jumped into owning my own business, and th- that transition was very organic as well. I never thought that I would be a business owner. I didn't set out to be a business owner. That's not what I thought. Um, I have always been told that I'm a little bossy. So maybe that part was, I am a little bit of a control freak. So I will admit that. But I worked in a outpatient Pilates-based physical therapy practice. So we did a lot of Pilates with our patients. And then when they would be done with therapy, so many of them had never done Pilates before, but they loved it so much that they used to say like, where can I go now to have classes? Cause we didn't have that available to people. Mm-hmm. So we were sending people to all of these studios around town. And I just thought, this is really silly. Like we have built in business. Why are we sending them to other people? So why not like, and there was nothing in the community where I was. So you know, I said, why don't we do this? And so we opened actually two patients of mine and my boss at the time was like, we should do it together. Let's do it together. So we opened a studio literally right across the street from the clinic and it was 300 square feet. It was tiny. Oh boy. And all it was going to be was just to have like classes, a couple reformers so that people could be, and it just from there, the community just was like, we have Pilates and it's very, you know, great and we love it. And I had a good kind of, um, you know, I had a good network of people because I was a therapist there for several years and a lot of people in the neighborhood knew me and doctors and such. And from there, it, I would have never in my, I mean, I, we started this company, I started with $2,000 and some like rented equipment. So I didn't know what an operating agreement was. I swear to you, I was on a call with somebody and they were talking about brick and mortar and I had to Google what brick and mortar meant because I didn't understand what that topic (laughs) was. So, and I'm sitting here brick and mortar and they're like, it's a physical place. I was like, oh, brick and mortar. 
Okay, yes, yeah, I have a brick and mortar. So that's how little I knew about business, but it grew and it grew. And then eventually I started seeing patients out of there, cash-based patients, because at the time I never thought people would pay cash for therapy. And let's see, 11, 12 years later, now uh, we have two locations, you know, 18 employees and online business, you know, an online, a digital platform to the company. And so that's kind of in a nutshell, my story. So this is interesting. You started it with, because you were an employee of someone who started. So how did you break off and and had the audacity to take $2,000 when you didn't know jack about business? to go and start your own thing how did that so what ended up happening was so these so these two people these two patients of mine they were pillars of they were very embedded in the community like they and so when i started saying you know it's so silly and they were um they were like we would love to you should do this do you know how many people would come to take pilates with you like you should do this we know so many people in the community we would like to do it with you but they didn't know anything about Pilates or therapy or business. They were two people that believed in me that also said, we would like to come on board. And then my bo- I mentioned it to my boss because, you know, the whole thing too, by the way, of like, and I'm sure you've seen in groups too, when people are like, should I tell my boss about my side hustle? Should I do this? I was like, listen, I, I'm a big believer that you should just be upfront with everything because if, if, like if I, I'm an employer now, if I, if I heard not from one of my employees, but through the grapevine that they were seeing clients somewhere else or doing, I, I would then start to think like, well, what are they not, why wouldn't they tell me or why are they not telling me? So I went to my boss right away and I said, I have this great idea. And he was like, that is a great idea. I'll support you hundred percent in that. And so four of us went in together he basically want, was selling some old equipment because he was getting new equipment into this clinic. And so we took some equipment, $2,000 each, and, that, and we were equal partners. And so this is, again, what I didn't understand about business ownership. So well, another dear client of mine said, but you should make sure to get an operating agreement. And I said, well, why? We're all friends. It's fine. And they're like, yeah, it's, you're all friends until you're not friends anymore. Right. And I just thought that if everyone put in the same amount of money, everyone was equal partners. I didn't understand that you could make it whatever you want. So fast forward five years, the business is booming. I have at this time left my clinic to work in the studio full time. My partners at the time still are not Pilates certified, nothing. And so we're all sharing profits equally, basically on my name and laurels. So So tell me you had that operating agreement that your friend told you about. We did have an operating agreement. The buyout was not favorable to anyone basically. So what happened was I basically said, by this time I had moved to a different house. And so I was like, I wanted to start another offshoot local to where I am, to my community. And Mm -hmm. I wanted to do it myself. I didn't want to bring my partners on with me. And there's no non-compete in the operating agreement, but they got obviously really upset. They were like, well, how will this be different? This is so I caved and I was like, well, as long as I'm 75% owner in this entity, you guys can come on as partners. 
fast forward like three years, it wasn't working. It was obviously, I still felt, and I'm, you know what, now that I can look back on it, I used to blame them for everything, but part of it was me. Like I was, you know, I probably didn't set out expectations clearly ahead of time. And it just became a toxic environment. I didn't, I worked too hard to work in a toxic environment. So basically I bought them out Mm-hmm. of the new company and I just walked away from the old one. So I started a whole new entity and at the time we had, a, you know, we had lawyers involved and my attorney kept saying, you know, cause I was like, but this is, I built this, it's on my name, it's my, cl-. and he was like, listen, do you want to be right? Or do you want to be out of this? Because if you want to be right, I can guarantee you the only person that's going to make money out of it is me when you force me to go to court because nothing else is going to happen. And he was right. He was like, you're going to walk away in a year from now. You're going to be in a, such a better place. You're going to be happy that you just walked away. And he was right. He was a hundred. I had to put that. That's the first time that I really had to learn. I had to put my ego aside so that I could make the right decision for the company. Wow. That, yeah. That's interesting because I think so many times when we do something and we're like, oh, I made a mistake, I should have done something different, then it in some ways makes us afraid to mm-hmm. do, to trust ourselves and our instincts again. So how did you get past that? You know, I think the, the fact that a year later I was in such a better place really made me believe like, and now I've come to the terms too, that I can like a grown up say that it was, it's two, there's two sides to every battle, whether you're talking about a divorce or you're talking about a friendship end or there's two sides to the story. There's not, there's never an innocent really victim. Right. So I was also adult enough to say like, I contributed to part of the toxicity, you know, in the company and it was the best decision for us moving forward. And I've started to align myself with people that would give me objective opinions, not what I wanted to hear, you know? And I think that's important for business owners, especially small business owners, because it's our baby. Like we probably put every ounce of money and sweat and blood and tears into this business. And so sometimes it's really hard to step back and make, the best decision for the company. Mm-hmm. So when you have a team, whether it's like an advisory board or just like two or three people that you could say, here's my situation. What do you objectively think? And then you have to kind of take that person. You have to listen and digest and take their you know, opinion at face value, you know, which is a good thing. Absolutely. So what do you think from what do you think it really took from an internal perspective to move from employee to business owner to where you are now with 18 employees? So the hardest move, I will say, it wasn't so hard to go from like employee to business owner because I was, I already was like, I was the clinical director, you know, I was the CI, like, you know, the CCCE there. And I was, So I was already in kind of a leadership role. So Mm -hmm. that transition was okay. I'm okay taking responsibility. I like, if I'm in a group project, I'm the person that's like, okay, you do this, you do this, you do this, we'll all do this. Like I'm like an organizer. That's, you know, my, uh, I don't know if you do Enneagrams at all, but like I'm Mm -hmm. a three. So um, that's kind of my thing. So that was okay. 
the biggest jump was, you know, let's go fast forward probably eight years and my company is now over seven figures. And I literally was in like the most unhappy I've ever been. I was overworked. I was stressed. My personal life was like in shambles because I had nothing left to give. I had given so much to the company and I finally made the decision that I couldn't, I couldn't live like this anymore. Like something was going to give and the rate that I was going, it was going to be my personal life with my family. And I was not willing to give that up. So I realized that I, you can hustle your way to seven figures. You can't hustle your way past it. Like you just, you'll drive yourself into the ground. So I had to learn to hold people accountable for their job responsibilities and their roles. And I had to step out of the role of like the employer and now become the visionary. Like I had to go from employer to visionary and, and take a step back and say, I needed to hire people a, a bigger, I needed to build a better infrastructure because mm-hmm. everyone was coming to me. I was like the main point. And so, you know, imagine if everyone on your team, 18, at any given time, I have between 15 and 20 employees. So imagine if 20, 15 to 20 people at any given time have one or two problems a day and they're coming to you with, can you, I mean, can you, but I had set that, I can put myself at cause, like I had created that system. I'd created a bunch of little task rabbits because I felt like I had to have my thumbprint on everything. How did you let go of that? Like if you already said like from the beginning, I know I'm a little bossy and then maybe you have a little perfectionism, like a lot of, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of the women that listen to this, like, how do you get past that when you want everything just so? Yeah. So the first thing I had to learn was that not everything has to be perfect. Mm-hmm. So that was the first thing. So, you know, done is better than perfect. And I also knew that I needed to hire someone to be an intermediary between myself and the team. I had to put a buffer there. So one of the first things I did was I hired a director of operations that was non-industry, meaning they were an operations person. That's -hmm. what they did. They ran operations for startups. He had no, no idea what Pilates was. He knew what physical therapy was, but he didn't come from healthcare. Cause, and that's what I needed. I needed someone. Also, he was um, very smart, very tech savvy. Cause I, I knew that that was one of the things we were missing in our kind of structure. And he, was, he had a better um, interpersonal communication. And that's what I lacked. So it was hard for me because again, it's so personal to me. Like it would drive me crazy when somebody would ask for like three weeks off. Like it would just drive me crazy because I wouldn't ask for three weeks off, but he was great because he would say to me, if, if there's coverage, then what does it matter if this person takes three weeks off? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, but, but, and he's like, so now he's like, how about this? If you don't see it, does it bother you? I'm like, no. And he's like, then I'll take it off your plate. Right. So it was like the, we are the perfect yin and yang. Like he also, and, and I, I listened to him and sometimes he said, I don't think you're right in this situation. And I'm like, okay, I will listen to you. Like you have your hands, 
you know, in the pot there. And he handles a lot of situations for me that I don't want to handle, you know? And um, it, that was the first thing. Then after that, then I started having to allow, and he helped me with this too, you ha have to allow people to make mistakes. Mm -hmm. So like, if I saw on the schedule that somebody had canceled, but they didn't call another person to get into that cancellation, I would be like, you know, um, hey, who did, did somebody not call? They're like, you, if you continue to do it for them, they'll never learn. So you have to let them make mistakes. You have to go a month and see, maybe these are our numbers and show them and they have to learn. If not, they're never going to learn. So that was something else I had to do too. Well, if you could go back to the time when it was just you in a 300 square foot building and like it was mm -hmm. you doing all of the things, because I think at this point you're at the CEO status, you have the 15 to 20 people at any point in time. What was it like for you when it was just you in the 300 square foot building? Like what are some of the things that you had to, to learn and how did you have to grow in that space? So one of the things, one of the things that I think is a as a blessing and a curse to me is I am a born like people pleaser. Hence the anagram number three, right? So I have a very keen sense of like when I meet someone, what they are how to interact with them to get them to like me, how to meet them halfway. So one of the things I think was a big strength for me when I was starting to grow the company was every person that came in I could kind of detect what's going to clinch this person to me. Like what's going to sell them? How am I going to get them to come back? How am I going to relate to them that they're going to think that they want to be my friend forever? Mm -hmm. So, and I had control over all of that. Right. So I had connection with every single person that came through the door. Right. right? So I had communication with them the way I spoke to them. I could, I could tell what this person needed to hear to get them to come back versus like what you needed to hear to get you to come back. Mm -hmm. And so as the one mistake that I think that I made that I would do differently, and this is what I tell other business owners, I had all of this in my head and I never put it down on paper. I never created like a how to, again, I didn't know what I was doing. And at the time, never in my wildest dreams did I think that this was going to expand to more than like 300 square feet. Mm -hmm. So as we grew and as we started training people and as I started being out of the company more and more, meaning we had now two locations, I was not working 12 hours a day. I had other employees, other staff members. There started to be like a little bit of a disconnect because I just assumed that people would read my mind and <laughs> just do exactly what I would do. And I realized like, that's not reality, Krista. They can't read your mind. So I should have done training manuals. I should have created videos and even videos weren't really big back then, but I could have written it out on paper. Right. You know, like, here's how you greet someone. Here's how we answer the phone. Here's the things that we tell them, like how we explain what it is that we do, you know, mm -hmm. that kind of stuff, those intangibles that make, and I, by no means am a good salesperson. I am now, but back then I used to hate selling. You know, I'm like, I feel bad about selling, you know, um, you know, I've also joined over the year, I joined some masterminds that have really helped me step out of the role as employer, you know, that I fought for a long time, because I would say things like, should I get Kajabi? I mean, it's like 199 
you know, a, a, a month or whatever, and should I buy it? And then my, you know, my the mastermind leader would be like, how much does your company generate? And I'm like, seven figures. Do you think the CEO of a seven figure, re you know, revenue generating company is going to worry about a 197 product? Right. I was like, well, this one is. He's like, well, are you then a, a CEO of a seven figure company or not? And he, mm -hmm. I was like, you're right. You're right. He's like, the time it's taking you to figure out down this rabbit hole if you want to get Kajabi or not you could have seen one patient that you charge you know $200 for and it just paid for your month of Kajabi so now you just wasted time so that was a big transition for me too I don't waste my time thinking about little things anymore well this in addition to those kinds of things like not having your standard operating procedures written down or wasting time going back and forth on small decisions what are some of the other mistakes you see newer business owners making um i see this happen one of the things i see that happen in our industry a ton is um we you know good good staff is really hard to find it's really hard to find like good quality people to work for you that are going to buy into your vision. Mm -hmm. And so I made the mistake of hiring the wrong people from the get go, just because I needed somebody. Right. And so people that I kind of already knew and, and I say this to people all the time, they're like, well, they were, they seem perfect in the interview. And maybe sometimes people do. There are definitely people that, seem great and all of a sudden you're like what happened mm -hmm. but i would say 90 percent of the time there are little clues they leave little clues that we choose to ignore at the time maybe they showed up late for the interview mm -hmm. maybe you gave them a here's a perfect example communication to me is very very important like integrity is one of my personal core values integrity to me means doing what you say you're going to do so for example, Tavana, I said I was going to be here at three o'clock to do, you know, this interview or whatever the time I would not call you at 255 and say, you know what, I'm just, I'm not going to be able to make it like, unless some tragic something happens, if mm -hmm. I was ill, I would still be here. Like that's integrity to me. Mm -hmm. So in other words, somebody who's not in integrity to me is going to drive me crazy. So if I'm interviewing someone and they take three days to return an email to me, those are already little clues that that's going to drive me crazy. So why would I then hire that? I mean, that person's not going to change, right? So why like do you think people things. do do that? I think it's because we try to rationalize, like it's maybe this person actually is a really phenomenal, like maybe they have a lot of credibility, you know, you need a person. They seem pleasant when they're present with you, mm -hmm. right? The people that are, listen, the people that are really wrong for the job are easy to let go, right? The people that you find out are like stealing from you or they never can show up on time. Nobody likes them. They're just kind of like toxic, mm -hmm. right? I say they're the people in the boat that are like dropping anchor. Like they're <laughs> literally slowing you down. Right. But then you have other people that are, they kind of like just ride the wave, you know, like they show up. People like them, um, but you know, they maybe are not super committed. They like don't do anything above and beyond what they're required to do. And mm -hmm. I say those are the people that are literally just sitting in the boat. They're not right. dropping anchor because they're not 
rowing backwards, but they're also not rowing forward. And so what do people sitting in the boat do that are not rowing forward? They're still weighing the boat down a little bit. Those people are the hard people to get rid of, right? Mm -hmm. Because you kind of like them, but if it's bad for the company, right? So in other words, somebody could be a really great therapist, but if they don't align with your vision, you gotta let them go because it's just gonna be like a battle forever. And so I started saying, I would rather now limit the hours or cancel classes rather than hire the wrong person for my company. And that has saved me a tremendous amount of stress and anxiety. Yeah, I think that's a a huge mental leap for some people. So I want to talk a little bit about when you and I were having on an interview on your female Friday. Say that three times real fast. (laughs) You can't. It's it's almost impossible. (laughs) (laughs) We were geeking out over just women in business in general and some of the things that we see or don't see from women that are doing business. I would want to I think it's probably everywhere, but I think I want to kind of gear it towards the online space. So what are some Mm -hmm. of the things that you're seeing from some of our colleagues that are women that are entrepreneurs? Well, I think one of the things, I mean, I don't know if you saw this, somebody tweeted it and I have no idea who it was that tweeted it, but said something like, um, Kanye running for president just shows how like men look at a job description and are like, hey, yeah, I could think I could do that. Whereas like women look at something and are like, it has one little thing, like maybe they're like, oh, that doesn't mean me. So now they're totally wrong for the job, right? Mm -hmm. So I think women, and I include myself in this because this was me for a long time. I think we sometimes, and again, generalization, but tend to be a little more passive. We we overthink things over Mm -hmm. and over and over and over again. Am I right? Are they going to know I'm a fraud? Who, who do I think I am jumping into the ring like this? We also don't love to toot our own horn. So sometimes we're like, well, people will come to me if they really want it. It's, it's, it's you know, um, I don't want to seem conceited or like showboaty if I just put myself out there. You know, I don't want to talk about how much money my company generates because it seems, you know, brash. So there are ways you can do that, though, being authentic, right? Right. So I do think also most successful people, and I don't think that this is women in general, but tend to be perfectionists. Most of the women business owners I know, we all share that trait, that we are a little bit of perfectionists. And I do sometimes see one of the things that I've totally learned to give up is perfectionism because I really believe that the only person that sees that is us like literally like you would see it on your branding and website and stuff like that and I might go and I might not even notice it and you might be like yeah that shade isn't the right shade of like you know purple or whatever and I I would never even notice it Um, and I think we have to give that up especially in the online space especially in the online space because just throw just throw it out there. Like if no one buys it, you're no worse off than you are right now. That's why, you know, my first launch that I ever did, I launched, I had no list. And when I say no list, I mean zero. I don't mean like, oh, I had like 150 people. I had zero people on my list. I didn't know what beta meant. 
I had a Google brick and mortar. I had a Google beta. I didn't, people kept talking about my beta launch. I didn't know what beta meant. Mm. So I finally just was like, you know what? I'm going to do it. I had no program. Mm. So I just said, Hey, I'm opening up a mentorship group for female business owners. If you want to join me, I'll tell you everything I've ever learned about running a seven figure company. And, and I had 11 people sign up. I had nothing, no list. I did it with I think I ran like one Facebook ad. I basically posted in a couple Facebook groups and on Instagram and that's how I did it. Somebody said something like if you, I can't remember the exact phrasing, but it's something to the point, like if they're, if you don't cringe when you put it out there, you wait it too late. Yeah. You have to cringe a little bit. You have to, you know, if it doesn't excite or something like you're right, if it doesn't excite you and scare you at the same time. And basically my, um, the person that I'm doing, like do a mastermind with, um, they say all the time, like, uh, fear is basically just excitement coming from a different side. So it's the same kind of like mechanism in your brain. It's just like, if you could flip it and just say, it's not, I'm not scared. I'm excited. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you put it out there and you know what, if it flops, it flops, like plenty of successful people have had flops and then you learn from it and you grow from it and you do it again 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 and you do it better yeah and each time you learn learn a little something you ask the people in the group like hey what did you and so the other thing I find is that people oh so say your goal is to get let's just say your goal is to get 10 people to sign up for your program Mm -hmm. and you get three right I find so many people worry about like this. They look at themselves as a failure because they missed seven, but they got three. Like you should serve those three people really, really hard. So instead of saying, but I didn't get seven, you should pat yourself on the back and be like, damn, I got three people to sign up for my thing today, this week, you know, or this month or, and serve those people really hard because they're gonna love on you and you should love back on them. Like, Stop thinking about the things you don't have and think about the things that you do have. A hundred percent. I agree so much. And I think when we start beating ourselves up about what we don't have, it we it shifts our energy into this the yep. scarcity mode, which and lack, and then that yep. attracts more lack versus like exactly. I'm a badass. I found I figured out how to get three people. So if I can figure out how to get three people then I can figure out how to get six. And if I can figure out how to get six, I can figure out how to get 12. And so uh, it really is what you put your attention in. So I I totally agree with you on that. That Mm -hmm. shift in energy and attention makes a huge difference. Because if you are looking at what's possible, you know, and proof that, hey, I got three people, then your energy is, I can get three more people. If your energy is, I didn't get seven, then you're right. You're going to attract more lack, but that positivity is like the best, you know, that energy is where you want to stay. Yeah. A hundred percent. So if you could go back and tell your younger self, pre 18 employee self, like one piece of advice besides the perfectionism, which I appreciate so much. Um, what would you tell her? I think I would tell her, I wish I would have started with the inner work 
first and realized that I had the idea that getting to seven figures would make me happy, would mm -hmm. mean I accomplished something. And I got there and I felt no different. So my net worth does not have anything to do with my self-worth. And so mm -hmm. self-worth should come first, right? So if clients choose to work with you or don't choose to work with you, if staff members choose to stay with you or don't choose to stay with you, it's not you as a person, mm -hmm. it's a choice that someone's making and we should learn to disconnect that from who we are as people, right? So even if my business failed tomorrow, say we have to close because of COVID, who knows, uh, you know, but I am not a failure, mm -hmm. right? I am still a worthy person. Um, you know, failure is an action, not an identity. And I think that I wish I would have, like, I would have worked on that maybe first. I would have saved myself, I think, a lot of unhappiness growing the business. You've either liberated some people with that statement <laughs> or made some very sad people right now. But no, it is, yeah. it is so, it's so true. And it's, and I'm so glad that you said it because it's very challenging. I think people think if we get there, whatever they're there is that they're going to be happy. And that's kind of like what we're saying. It's the reverse. Like be happy now and enjoy, and so that you can actually enjoy the process, the journey of, of getting to that, that place. Cause right. I mean, that's why I, I named my program. It's called the live, learn, lead program, because the whole idea is you have to live as if you've already accomplished the goals that you've set for yourself. You have to live as a seven figure CEO, if that's what you want, or you have to live as the happy person that you want to be. You have to live that first, then you learn the skills that you need to grow the company, then you lead the life that you, that you want. But you have to be, you know, it's like be, do, have. You have to be that person, then you do the work, mm -hmm. then you have all the things. So good. Yeah. So good. Oh, thank you so, so many much people for... do it in reverse. This has been great too. I love talking. I love talking about this. And it's like you said, you know, even if you could, um, if I could help one person, you know, or even be an example for one female to say, Hey, I, I could do this. That's like, you know, I think you can't be what you can't see. And so if people, if we can set, you know, um, be examples to other people of what could happen and what's possible. I think that's really powerful, which is why what we were talking about, like having more females use their voice. 100%. Thank you yeah. so much, Krista. Well, thank you, Tavana, so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Yes, send in hugs. Thank you. Thank you. It's so great to chat.